Good morning. Yes, thank you. You may be seated. I am back again, and I am no pastor. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why T-shirt you always insist. Thank you. Thank you for the worship team. It's, it's really, yeah. <laughs> Sunday in and Sunday out, always here. Yeah. I mean, we, I have to be early twice this month and already I cannot cope. <laughs> they have to do it every Sunday. Thank you, Brother Sepe and your team. We really appreciate you. Amen. Amen. Just uh, also thank you, T-shirt, that, that scripture that he read in Hebrews, that, that's powerful. That by one sacrifice. Wasn't a trial and error. You know when you are about to pay a bill and the card does not go through and you're sweating bullets. You can see yourself washing dishes already and say, try this one. Jesus was not that. Once and done. Amen. Yes, thank you. Thank you once again. Uh, it's good to see you. Last week, we did say that we'll continue our conversation because we didn't finish. I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want to do a pop quiz? <laughs> or would you like to tell me where we ended so that we can start? Do you remember where we ended? Do you remember where we ended? I, I hope you do, because even though I'll do recaps in, in between, it, it, it's important that you remember, because everything that we're going to talk about will hinge on, on what we said last week. I'm not going to, I'm not propping up my sermon. You know how people will say, go listen to it, but just for understanding, it will, what I'm going to say actually makes much more sense if you have gone through last week. This is going to be short, like short. This morning we're going to be short, short. And we ended last week in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, 36 to 38. And just before we go to that scripture that we read, just a bit of background on that chapter. We are told that Jesus crosses over to his own city. And this is where he encounters that paralytic who was brought by some people to be healed. You remember that? And the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. But instead of saying you are healed, he said your sins are forgiven. That, of course, created a problem. And people said he is a blasphemer. We remember how the rest of that story Ended. And as the chapter progresses, he goes, this is where Matthew was called. He goes and sees Matthew in his office and says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew, no questions asked, follows Jesus. But Matthew, remember, was a tax collector. Jesus is calling a tax collector. Now just Tax collectors were not like now. 
tax collectors of that time were bad. It's how the government collected tax. It's not like SARS now, where they say, okay, how much are you getting paid? Then they deduct tax and all of that. How much is your business making? No. The government of Rome would come to a region. This region, more clue, they'll say, we expect one million rand worth of tax in this region. For example, a tax collector made sure that Rome got one million. That's all he did. But now, I mean, paying tax is hard enough. Tax being collected by your fellow brother, that's tough. I don't know anyone who says, you know what, we're not just paying, we're not paying SAS enough money. I think we need to pay more. Nobody says, as a matter of, people pay people to exploit loopholes in the tax system. That's how people, how much people don't want to pay tax. Now imagine in an oppressive system. But now tax collectors did not just collect the one million that they were set. They collected more. That's how they became very rich. So they will come to their own people and actually exploit them. They will collect one million rand give to the government and plus some which will keep, they will keep to themselves. To say that they were hated is an understatement. It's like here in South Africa in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you're a black person and you're part of the ruling party. To say that people wanted you struck by lightning is an understatement. You're sitting there looking at me holy. We know our history. Don't look at me like that. You know our history. You know how people were looked at if they were part of that party in that time. So, tax collectors were not very liked. As a matter of fact, they were, were not even allowed in the synagogue. That's how bad things were. And Jesus calls this guy. And Matthew being a tax collector, of course, had tax collector friends. And the Bible tells us that as the chapter progresses, Jesus is sitting with these tax collectors and they're eating. And if you're eating with somebody, people will see, oh, that means these people are cool with each other. And the Bible says he was sitting with tax collectors and sinners. So there were sinners and then there were tax collectors. Sinners looked up to tax collectors. Say, yeah, injures a gay. Like, you. And religious leaders see this and they obviously had a problem with it. And we talked about groups of religious people last time. We had a conversation back then. Who do you think had a problem with this? The Pharisees. The law keepers. And by the way, Paul, Paul, our Paul, our Paul, was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Studied under one of the finest teachers of that time, a gentleman by the name of Gamaliel, before, obviously, he had his experience. So the Pharisees looked at this, and obviously they had a problem. But when I'm reading this, I sympathize with the Pharisees sometimes. 
as judgmental as we are of them, and we are judgmental. You think, imagine this religious leader, this teacher, sitting with sinners. Fast forward to our time. Whoever is coming to mind right now, people who you think, these, these people are bad. Imagine you are just an observer looking at this guy, having just cozy. It won't go down well with you too. So I sympathize with them. But of course, when they raised this as an issue, he gave that classical response. He who is not sick does not need a doctor. Yeah, you are being judgmental because you think you're fine, but these people have nowhere else to go. And now as we go, this is where we ended. So I said all of that to give you a picture of what this chapter is like, the kind of people who are coming to Jesus. We are good. Amen. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. It says, but when he saw the multitudes. So people are coming to Jesus with all kinds of disease. And he's healing them. He says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest you remember the scripture this is where we ended amen amen good it's important to know that you're here you just look at me finish finish why is it important just before we go to where we were in in the epistle of timothy as we read this, and again, the, the, whole, the whole chapter, no one is as compassionate about people who need to be saved as Jesus. Just keep that at the back of him. No one is as compassionate. He sets the example on what compassion looks like. That's point number one. Number two is when he says pray for the laborers, He's not, he's not saying pray for some angels for another dimension. Those laborers, that's us. Those are people who need to go out in the field with the same compassion that Jesus has shown. Number three, compassion does not equal compromise. You saw that, you said the, the little not equal. You can follow that sign, right? That, that means not equal. I, I apologize. Sometimes you just put these symbols and you think people can follow. But that's what it means. Compassion does not mean we're compromising. Because sometimes it almost feels like we have to compromise the truth. We have to trim off the edges of the truth to show compassion. That's not what you see here. And having, in, having indicated to you just how unscrupulous, just how bad the tax collectors were of that day, we do not see any evidence that Jesus approved of what they were doing. Amen? 
as a matter of fact, when he had an encounter, you remember the chief tax collector whose name was Zacchaeus. You remember the guy. I don't know if he had a problem, if, if these other people who had a problem with other tax collectors, what they thought when he had a, he had a meal in the house of the chief tax collector. But what the Bible tells us is that when Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, when they were at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus was so convicted. He says, I give half of what I have to the poor. If I cheated anyone, I'll give them back. Like he's saying if, if we, as if we don't know that he's actually cheated somebody. He said, I will give them back fourfold. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house. That's just how much Jesus had an impact on those people who were sinners, those people who were far away from God. So the idea should not be that Jesus was cutting corners. No, people were still convicted of their sin. Therefore, it is, it, though these things are, are both true, the truth of Scripture and the love of God and the mercy of God. It is not, they are not mutually exclusive. You remember last time, back then when we talked about grace and truth? Yes. Amen. We are good. Now, let's go back to Timothy. Another mini recap. So, what we learned last time is Paul is warning Timothy about what it's like to be in the last days, what it will be like. And we agreed that the love of self, this is where the main major issue is going to be. People are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of passion, disobedient to parents, but not these parents. But then he says, this is verse 10. This is what we did not cover, so we'll pick it up here. Verse 10. This is, you still remember the scripture, 2 Timothy 3. Okay. Then he's having said all of what he said about these other people. He says, but you, and as other translations will say, you, however, you have followed, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. And as we agreed last time, Paul is not just saying your behavior pattern is different from the rest of the world. He's saying much more than that. He's saying you have followed this doctrine. This is what, this path that God has created for you, that's what you have followed. Amen? And when he says my doctrine, it's not as if Paul started a doctrine. That's, that, that's also very important because he also says in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll not look at it, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate, as I imitate Christ. So Paul was not saying he is this superstar who is supposed to be followed. No, he said, if you look at the life that I live, you follow it in reverence of Christ. Which means then if he's not follow, following Christ, don't follow that person. Amen? Sorry, just... I knew this was going to happen one day. 
sorry. Just a minute. Today of all days. <laughs> this is why I always printed my notes, but now I'm trying to yeah, trying to come up to the first century and the twenty first century and it's not showing me that I'm not ready. Okay, we are we're almost there. Almost there. Okay. So now verse fourteen. And again, this is this is Paul making a comparison and contrast. It says in all in all aspects of life you have walked in this path. Verse fourteen. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. So you, you have walked in this path. Continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It says, Timothy, it's great that you started well but you must continue. You must continue from things you have learned from childhood. Not, not religion. Not human wisdom. Not philosophy. But the scriptures. They make you wise unto salvation. Not just for this life. But for the life to come as well. And I just want to say for those of us who are still raising kids... We owe no one an, an apology for raising our kids with the word of God. Amen. It might not be the trending thing sometimes. Because it says from childhood up until now, you have known the scriptures. And we will be called names sometimes. Oh, you're such a square. You are this and that. But the path is talking about leads to eternal life. That's the thing. Your parents are not trying to be in your fan club. They could not care less. So I say to parents, fellow parents, drag your kids to church. Drag them to church. I don't like it here. No one asked. Can I stay at home? I wish you would. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I know when you're young, you don't appreciate what your parents are trying to do. But one day, one day it, it, it will click. This is, what, oh, this is what they were trying to do. This is what they were trying to prevent me from seeing or experiencing. But you don't want it the other way around where you say, I wish. What they're trying to do is save your life. 
their methods might be questionable. Very questionable. Threats. Serious threats. But there's always a bigger picture. They see the bigger picture. Unfortunately, you don't see it because you're trying to be cool with your friends, you see. Your parents are none of that. They're not into any of that. So Paul says, from childhood. So imagine this, he's speaking to Timothy. At this point, he's grown. He says, from childhood, this has preserved you. And if it was good enough back then, I put it to you that it's still good enough now. And he says, continue. Don't just start well, continue. And how many times have we seen people who have started well but did not continue? You see them come through, ignite, designed, in between designed and reflect, in between varsity and getting paid. Somehow, there's another wisdom that show up into the picture, like, I think I know better. Paul's argument is, there is no other wisdom except the word of God. That's the point he's making. There is no wisdom outside the word of God that is able to save you. There is no other wisdom that will make you wise unto salvation. Hear this. They will tell you the scriptures are outdated. But they will not give you anything better. Only the scriptures. Now that verse that we started with. It says all scriptures. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Or is God, God breathed and profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I know that this annoys intellectual people because the Bible is telling you what the Bible is. It's, it's, you know in Microsoft Excel where you have secular referencing, where you are referencing that which you're supposed to, add, but that's, that's what it is. The scripture is telling you what the scripture is. You cannot tell the scripture what it is. That's how authoritative the word of God is. There is nothing outside the scripture that defines the scripture except the scriptures themselves. And as we, uh, uh, that, where is that diagram? I tried to make it better this week. Can you see that? It's better, isn't it? So the scriptures dictate, they create doctrine for us. They tell us which path to go to. They tell us when we are going off the path, that is reproof. They tell us how to get back on the path, that is correction, and train us in righteousness that is now walking back in the path. So it's profitable. There is nothing else that we have except the scriptures. Your heavenly father in his wisdom made sure that you do not have to stumble and invent things. Or listen to fables and other things. Man's wisdom, he gave us the scriptures. Now, let's flip over to the next chapter. This is where we, we will close.
So Paul said, and this is, this is the brilliance of this letter. He says all of that to then instruct Timothy in this. And I think that this instruction is still also very much applicable to us. He says to, to Timothy, having said all of that, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. So this is eternal consequences. It says, I charge you. What does he charge him with? Preach the word. Preach the word. I'm charging you Yes, there will be people who will not like preach the word. Yes, people will be self-centered and all the rest of it. Preach the word. And it does not sound like Paul is saying this is optional. This is not optional. He is not saying preach the word when you have time. Preach the word just in case you can slot it into your program says, preach the word. In the light of how bleak things will be, preach the word. And Paul was very serious about preaching the word to Timothy. In five separate scriptures, passages of scriptures, he says it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I didn't put those scriptures up. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, it says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Second Timothy 2 verse 2 says, The things that you have learned from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Second Timothy 2.24 says, The servant of the Lord must be able to teach. So these are not just mere suggestions. This is not just when you have time. When we come to church, we should expect to hear the word. If all you did was to hear the word, that would be enough. I know to some people that's not enough. They want like a show nyana mixed with entertainment and other things. They can't possibly fathom that all you did was you went to church and heard the word. Yeah, that's what happened. Your, my opinions are not good enough. Amen. And he continues, says, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. He says, persuade, reproof, and encourage with all patience. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He says, the time is coming where people will not be able to stomach what is true. Amen? He says, there's a time where people will say, this is not the in thing. There's a time where truth will offend people. There's a time where people will say, I am leaving this church because it doesn't cater for me. It does not accommodate me. It does not affirm me. 
But he says, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, as this is going on, as this drama is unfolding, you, you be watchful. In all things, endure affliction. You already mentioned that in the previous chapter. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He says, in those days, people will line up for themselves teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. We have not seen that year in South Africa where people are just lining them up. It says every time you turn around, there'll be some preacher who has invented something. Everything but the truth. They will come up with some, everything but the truth. And the funny thing is, you sit, your, you sit and ask yourself, don't you see that this man is a charlatan? You don't see that this is a charade. It's a circus. You don't see through the heresy. No, he says, that's what they want. Because they don't want to hear the truth. That's what they want. And the thing sometimes about being deceived is that you don't know that you're being deceived until you turn to the truth. But the thing is, people don't want to go to the truth, you see, because the truth will tell you the truth. The truth does not spare your feelings. And again, one of the saddest things is that people who don't know Christ come to church and they encounter entertainment and they live without their lives changing. Where else should they go? Because this is where they are supposed to see the light. This is where they are supposed to encounter Christ. But all we are telling them is that, no, Jesus loves you. No, yes, he does. He does love you. But his compassion does not mean he's compromising on what he has already said in his word. Amen? As we close, some few points. Recap again. So we have seen what Paul was saying. As he says, the world around us will be like. He has already warned us about how bleak the world is. And he has shown us that, yes, there's a difference, but the difference is not in the behavior. He's not saying be better. He's not saying outperform the world. He's not just, he's not just saying, you see what the world is doing, do the opposite. Because sometimes we can get into that. We just see people say, yeah, you see, you have zero self-control. Yeah, the Paul warned us about you. And the, that other guy said, yeah, you see, you will. No, don't do that. As Jesus has demonstrated to us what compassion is like. Amen. He also prayed that we are the laborers. Therefore, if there's something that's going to happen in the lives of those people, it's going to happen through us. Amen. 
And again, going back to the authority of scripture, this is where all matters are settled. They are not settled in any other way, even though they are telling you that you cannot bring the scriptures here. Yes, we do bring the scriptures there. Because we cannot give them anything else except what God has said already in his word. Finally, he says, preach the word. Because the time is coming where people will not be interested in hearing the truth. But in the midst of there where people are not interested in hearing the truth, preach the word. And I know that it is not, when he says preach the word, it's not so much that everybody will be preaching on the stage like we're doing. But your life out there will demonstrate the authority of scripture in your life. How you conduct yourself out there is supposed to show people who do not know any better that you know God. Your life will demonstrate that, yes, we, we understand that as, as Jesus prayed, we are not going to be removed from the world, but we are right now in the world. And if the world is going to see any light, it's going to be through us. Therefore, we preach the word with our actions. We preach the word with our conduct. We preach the word in how we walk, how we talk. It's not going to be necessarily, you come to stage, that's when you're going to preach the word. No, there are other six days in the week where you're out there. There are so many other days where you're going to show that you really know God. Amen. That's when the authority of scripture will be shown in our own lives. I hope this helps somebody. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much that your word indeed is, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that every waking day every waking moment, Lord, of our lives, your light will shine through us, Lord. We pray that we'll be open to what you're doing in our lives and you'll direct us wherever, you need, wherever we need to go. We pray that in the last days, Lord, you'll use us to the glory of your name. We pray for even those who walked in this morning do not know you, have no relationship with you. Let them be drawn to you this morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, for the conviction of your spirit. We thank you so much, Lord. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.